know, sometimes we wonder what the will of God for our lives is. At least I do, you know, and I'm sure you guys do too. And we pray and we search. We say, God, please tell me what you want me to do. And we know that the Bible tells us what God wants us to know. And so many times we turn there. But the Bible just doesn't tell us everything that we do want to know, does it? You know, it doesn't tell us uh, uh, certain things like, should I marry this person? Should I marry that one? Should I take this job? Should I take that one? Where should I go to college? All those sorts of things. The Bible doesn't actually talk about. But having said that, the Bible is very clear about many things that God wants for our lives. And, and for instance, when we are presented with an opportunity uh, to to be dishonest, God wants us to act with integrity. We know that's His will. When we're presented with an opportunity to uh, disrespect our parents, we know God's will is for us to honor our father and our mother. When we are presented with an opportunity as parents to uh, to be cruel and harsh to our kids, we know this God's will for us to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In short, God's will for us is to live godly lives in Christ Jesus. So the Bible doesn't tell us everything that we want to know, but it tells us a lot. The same thing is true uh, with God's will for us as a church. And at the beginning of each year, what I like to do, if, if you've been coming here for a while, you know what I like to do each year is right at the beginning of the year, I like us to kind of step back and refocus just a little bit. To remember why we're here, why we do what we do, and, and again try to discern what God's will for us as a church family is. But you know, the more that I thought about that this uh, the last couple of weeks, the more I realized God's already told us what His will for us is. Now, He hasn't told us how that's going to look in every context because He doesn't say, this is what it's going to look like for everybody because the way we as a rural church do ministry is going to look different than the way they do in, in a college town or in the inner city. All those, all those contexts are going to be different, but God's will for us is the same no matter where we're at. And that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to be in the book of Acts, if you've not already turned there. Now head to the New Testament book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 8. We're just going to read one verse. And we're going to pick up, uh, just to kind of orient you to where we are in the story of Jesus. Jesus has already been crucified. He's been resurrected. And you remember, for 40 days, he spent time uh, showing his disciples a lot of things. He was showing them miracles, and he was teaching them a lot of stuff and telling them all sorts of very important stuff. Now, where we pick up is right before the ascension, right before he goes back uh, to, to heaven. And so this is his last conversation on earth. Now, Jesus' words are always significant because Jesus said them. But you know what? It's his last words, and that makes them doubly important because anytime somebody knows the words they're going to say are their last words, they tend to make them count, don't they? And so Jesus made his words count, and I want you to notice what he says. And, 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 and what I want you to get out of this sermon today is that we, like his first followers, need to be Christ's spirit-empowered witnesses. We need to be Christ's spirit-empowered witnesses. Stand, if you would, as, as we uh, read this verse. Actually, we'll, we'll back up and read verse 7 because uh, verse 8 just picks up in the middle of what he's saying. And he, uh, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Thank you. you may be seated. As I said, we're going to focus just on verse 8 today. 
And, and the command or the order from Jesus here is, is really broken up into three parts in verse 8. We have uh, the task, that's the, that's the part that we tend to focus on in verse 8, that's to be his witnesses. We have the source of power to accomplish that task, that's the, the Holy Spirit. And then we also have the, the, uh, the extent of that task, and that is they're, they're to start where they are and go to the ends of the earth. Now, I, I want to start where Jesus does. If you look at verse 8, he starts with the source of power. He says the source of power that these disciples will need to draw on is the Holy Spirit himself. We need to depend on the Spirit's power. Now, this is, this is critical because it's tempting to breeze right past this part, isn't it? It's tempting to go past the power and look to uh, His purpose for us. It's, it's easy to go past his, his source of enablement and look at His big job that He has for us, and that's to be His witnesses. But Jesus said, first, we must depend, we must rely on the Holy Spirit because if we don't do that, listen, uh, that's not going to get accomplished on our own. If we try to do things in our own strength and our own power, not a lot's going to happen. You remember what Jesus told his followers in John chapter 15? He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. And then what did he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must rely on the, on the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of churches, and I think New Hope has been guilty of this throughout our history, uh, but, but many times churches will leave the Holy Spirit out of their plans. They'll leave the Holy Spirit out of their plans. Now, they don't do it intentionally. And if you were to walk into one of their planning meetings and say, hey, are, are you dependent on the Holy Spirit? They'd all say, oh, yeah, 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 we're doing that. But you know what? A lot of times, just the opposite is true. A lot of times, churches will will uh, uh, count on, on having some charismatic speaker, somebody that's, that's very powerful, very inspiring speaker. They'll count on slick advertising. They'll count on having stirring music. They'll count on all these things that, to make a lasting change in people's lives, and they'll leave the Holy Spirit out of the plans totally. And they don't do it intentionally, but they do it nonetheless. And, and, and when you do that, you're just short-circuiting yourself because the power lies with the Spirit. Now notice this power that's to be given in, in verse 8. He says you will receive power. And the word that's used there speaks of miraculous, wonder-working power. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I am, and hear what, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that we should become some sort of a, a, a miracle church where you come in and you know there is a, is a zoo and everybody's doing you know woo woo you know and, and doing all sorts of stuff and running up and down the aisles and and if we had chandeliers they'd be swinging from them. And I'm not talking about stuff like that. But what this, what this is saying, it's talking about wonder-working, miraculous power. Now, in, in the disciples' context, if you read the book of Acts, they had this power. They worked miracles. Now, I'm not saying that, that we should expect that because if you'll, if you'll notice, the Spirit gave them other power as well. It wasn't just the ability to heal the sick, to cause the blind to see and things like that. It, it also gave, uh, he also gave them power uh, in, in, the, in the form of confidence. Remember, these guys are a bunch of chickens. After the, after the crucifixion, they were out hiding. Remember when Jesus showed up? They were out hiding. He gave them confidence. He gave them boldness. He gave them insight into the Word of God. He gave them courage. He enabled their testimony. He enabled their witness. And not only that, when the Spirit works, He doesn't just work in the person that's sowing the seed. He works on the other side of that equation, so He's preparing the hearers to hear the gospel. 
And sometimes we think, oh, it's, it's up to us, it's up to our church, it's up to us to, it's up to the preacher to, to, to preach the word and all these things. Yeah, that's true, it is up to us to do those things, to be faithful to do it. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is, is, is also active in the hearts and lives of, of people that are hearing the word. He's the one that's tilling the soil, so to speak. The Bible says that his ministry is to convict and convince of sin. So we can, we can preach the gospel all we want, but until the Spirit not only prepares that heart and empowers that proclamation, nothing's going to happen. But when he does, that's when the big stuff happens. Now, how does this apply to us as New Hope, as New Hope family? Well, quite frankly, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit's power. I mean, that's pretty simple. We need to depend on the Spirit's power. We cannot do it on our own. I can't do it. You can't do it. We cannot do it as a church family. Now, I want to caution you because, you know, we sometimes we might think, well, if we depend on the Holy Spirit, we're going to see this whole area come, become Christians. People are going to flock in from miles and miles and miles, and they're all going to become Christians, and it's going to be great, and that may happen. But... Just because you depend on the Spirit does not necessarily ensure numerical success. Often it doesn't. Often it does. For instance, you remember Noah. The Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. The Bible says he preached for 120 years. How many people got on the ark? Do you remember? Eight people got on the ark. He was one of them. So that's seven people. There's Mrs. Noah. And then his three sons and their three wives. That's it. Nobody else got on the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. The Bible says he walked with God. No doubt, depending on the Spirit, only eight people. The disciples after Pentecost, Jesus is, is telling them to wait on the Spirit here and, and to depend on his power. You look after Pentecost, yeah, thousands come become Christians. But also, if you'll continue reading, how the religious leaders respond? They beat them, they flogged them, they persecuted them. They didn't respond in a positive way. Think about Jesus Himself. You say, "Oh, but there were five thousand following Him, plus women and children He fed them. What about all them?" Yeah, but what about all those people who, in, in John chapter six, when He said, "I'm the bread of life," and and He began to teach them, multitudes left Him. The, the religious leaders persecuted Him. They crucified Him. So when we depend on the Spirit, listen, the numbers are not up to us. Our job is to be faithful. It's God's job to, to get the results. Have we depended on Him? Have we been faithful in proclaiming the message? If, we, if we've done those two things, we're spiritual success. The, the numbers are up to God. So we need to depend on the Spirit's power. But then if you look at verse 8, He says, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And that's the second part. This is the main part of this, of this command or this charge or challenge from Christ. We are to be his witnesses. Now, I really like the way the King James captures this a little bit better. He says, you'll be witnesses unto me. It doesn't just say, you'll be my witnesses. He says, you'll witness unto me. Our witness should, bear, should be about Christ. What does that mean? Well... What is a witness? Well, the way it was used back then is much the way we use it today in a judicial context. 
is telling what you've seen and what you've heard. Being a witness is giving a testimony. It's not saying, I think so. I think this is what happened. It says, I know so. It's not saying, well, this happened to somebody else. When I was a kid, I saw this happen in, in this church that I went to. No, this is, this is what's happened to me. It's testifying about what you've seen and what you've had happened to you. And, and the word itself actually is, is the same root word that we get our word martyr from. Jesus says, you'll be my martyrs. And we don't like that idea, and we say, well, that may happen in you know, Saudi Arabia or something like that, but it's not happening in Halltown, Missouri. A martyr is somebody who loses their life during times of persecution. And we, we don't experience that here in, in, in the United States. We don't experience it here in Missouri. But the reason these first believers were called martyrs, witnesses, is because they were willing, that they testified to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, even to the point of laying down their lives. And that's what Jesus calls us to. You remember in the book of, of Revelation, it talks about these martyrs overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they loved not their lives even unto death. In other words, they put Christ and his kingdom first. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Christ called us to do? He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we put God first, when we put his kingdom first, it's not going to be about us. And so when we testify about Christ, it's not hearsay. It's not this is what's happened to somebody else. It's this is what's happened to me. And we should make that number one priority in our lives. And we as a church, listen, we have a heart to reach out. I want you to hear what I'm saying. We have a heart to reach out. One way that I know that is because I've been your pastor for a long time, and I've seen it. But another way that I know it is because on Wednesday nights, there for a while we were doing this, this planning time. And one night, and, and some of you might remember this, we sat down and said, what are our strengths as a church family? What are our weaknesses? And we listed them. And then we hand them all in, and we compiled a list. And one of the things that almost everybody identified as a weakness was outreach, or lack thereof. We don't have enough focus on outreach. And I agree. So you know what? Let's do something about that. We've got a heart to see people come to Christ. Let's do something about it. We're already working at it. Let's just tweak some things to make it better. Let's reach people for Christ. Now, maybe some of those things we try are going to be successful. I hope a lot of them are. I hope all of them are. Maybe some of them won't be. But you know, as I thought about things, I decided I'd rather be, if we failed, I'd rather be failing at trying to see people get saved than failing because we didn't tell them about Jesus. Wouldn't you? I'd rather be failing, trying to see people get saved, than failing and not telling them. Now, I don't have all the answers about that, the way this is going to look. I wish I did, but I don't. One thing I'd like to, for us to consider uh, as a church is adopt a class in area school. And minister to those kids in, in some ways. And, and I... I, I've said this before, but I want to say it again, not to get something in return. Many times we say, well, I want to do, we want to do this outreach so people will come to church. Will they come to church? I hope so. Is that the end goal? No. The end goal is to see people get saved. The end goal is to, is to love on them because God so loved the world and we love the world too. 
We as his followers love them. You remember what the Bible says? It is more blessed to give. Jesus himself said this. It is more blessed to give than what? Receive. We do it for them, not for us. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, when you, when you throw a banquet, don't invite all your friends because they might invite you back and then, you, then you've been repaid. He said, don't do that. He says, when you have a banquet, you go out and bring in the, the lame folks, the blind folks, the, the crippled folks, People that they can't repay you, and then at the resurrection, that's when you'll be repaid. So it's not we shouldn't minister to, to have them do something for us to make our church numbers look better. That's not the goal. The goal is to see them come to the kingdom. And I want us as a church to make a difference in people's lives, don't you? I, I want I want our lives to matter. I, I I want us to leave a mark on people outside these four walls. Because out there is where the mission field is. Out there is where the lost are. As I thought about it, I thought of this illustration. Some of you may have noticed I have a, a salt block and a, a can of salt up here. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Remember that? The Sermon on the Mount. But I'm not going to pick this salt block up because it weighs 50 pounds and I don't feel like you know, waving it around, impressing you off my mighty feet of strength. So just look at it. It's salt. If you don't believe me, you can come up and lick it after service and see. After service. This is salt as well. We all, we're all familiar with both of these because we're in Southwest Missouri. What do these things have in common? Well, obviously, they're salt. They do the same things. Salt in the form of a block or small granules, they do the same thing, right? How are they different? Well, salt block doesn't have any container around it. This one does. And I got to think about it. I thought, you know, a lot of churches, maybe New Hope sometimes, kind of like both the salt block and this thing is salt. Yeah, we're salty. We got the salt down. But many times don't we do this right here? All the salt comes together in our little, little salt shaker on Sundays, and we don't ever get out. We will never venture outside these four walls and tell people about Jesus. We don't ever interact with the lost. The salt block, you say, oh, well, it's outside the container. That's better. Yeah, it's better. But where's the salt with all the other salt? It's not really doing any good either. Yeah, it's outside the, the, the four walls of the salt container, but it's just hanging around with a bunch of other salt. And I, I've thought about my own life, and, I, and, and the research backs this up a lot. The longer you're a Christian, the fewer lost people you know. You ever notice that? Think about think about your friends. Say, well, I'm going to invite ten people to church for next week. Who are you going to invite? Probably most of the people that you know go to church. Most of the people you know probably are Christians. And, and there, there are probably people that you work with and stuff like that that you're sure are not Christians don't go to church anywhere. But the vast majority of the people that we know are the Christians. We hang out with the other salt. But it's it's when we open that salt shaker, that salt container, and we get out and interact. That's when the ministry happens. That's what Jesus said. He said, you're the salt of the earth. He didn't say you're the salt of the church. You're the salt of the earth. I want us as a, as a body of believers to go outside our four walls. And where's this ministry supposed to happen? Look at verse 8. Be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, 
in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, Jerusalem is where they were at the time. That's a city. That's like neighborhood missions, local missions. And we do, we do stuff like this all the time, don't we? You think about Bible school. That's probably our biggest outreach as a church. And I know that I've, I've thanked our workers before, but I want to give another shout-out to everybody that took part in Bible school in some way. Thank you. Because what we did as a church was we brought people in and told them about Jesus. And that's fantastic. I appreciate the uh, the, the dedication that goes on because, listen, I, I know every year when it comes summertime, we start talking about Bible school, everybody's like, oh, Bible school. Oh, that's so much work. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that the way we feel because it's so much set up and, and break down and then the, the dedication and the commitment to, to prepare your stuff and be here and, and then all the kids are running around and, and sometimes the kids just wear us out. And, oh, but we know it's worth it, but it's a lot of work. I appreciate your dedication because it's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing sometimes. Uh, another local thing that we do, Super Bowl. Men? Yeah, we won it last year. Woo! We got the trophy, the canned goods. That's coming up in February. Start buying your cans a couple at a time now. No, that's not what I've been doing. I, I have been, I have actually been buying some cans, but, and I've thought about doing it for that, but it's not. Anyway, that's, that's besides the point. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Um, but anyway, Super Bowl, what do we do? We take all those cans and take them about Vernon. That's about as local as it gets. That's right here at home. And that's to help out people with food. Um, if, if we adopt a class, it's going to be ministering to those kids and their families. That's local stuff. You say, well, Pastor, it's too late in the year to do it because, man, we could have done stuff with Thanksgiving and Christmas, all these great things. Well, we could adopt, we could adopt some teachers. And then next year do a class or something. Baptist Hill. Every year they need workers. You say, oh, but poor Jeff. There are kids there, and they're and it's hot. Yeah, I know, but you know what? That's local. That's 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 ministry. And and even if you maybe you can't bring yourself to be a cabin leader, you know our church every year is assigned to work in the kitchen. Or they they need people at youth camp, at children's camp. That's our Jerusalem, and that's not the only. The area of missions we can do, but that's an area. All those things are stuff that we already do. Judea and Samaria—that's Judea is like the district, the the area that Jerusalem was in. That's like Missouri, and Samaria is out past that. So that's like that's like state and and uh, and national missions. And actually, we already do some of this too. We don't. Many of us don't go ourselves, but part of the monies that we give each week that goes to. Missouri Baptist Convention, and that goes into the cooperative program, and then they can provide uh, help and, and, and ministry things right here in the U.S. Each Easter, we take up the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. That's to help out uh, uh, missions here in the U.S. I think, and I, I don't know all the details on this, but just a little bit that I've kind of gleaned here, there, and yonder, I think that our association, Lawrence County Baptist Association, I think we're going to probably be partnering up with another state association probably in the pretty near future, maybe Colorado or something like that, and doing some mission work there. Maybe maybe keep that in mind. You say, oh, Pastor, I can't be a missionary. Short term. That's like a week. I think you can do a week. You can do a few days. 
And, and then he talks about the ends of the earth. That's, that's stuff like overseas missions. This is what we usually think of when we think of missionaries. Now, the past few years, our association has gone to Chiapas, Mexico, and they've done missions work. And many people in, in different churches have taken part in that. I think that door is closed, but I'm guessing there's going to be some more short-term mission work uh, in, in the near future. I'd encourage you to, to do that if you can. Say, Pastor, I can't do it. I'm broke. I'm old. I'm broke down. I can't do You know, I've, I've got all these problems. I can't do it. You can't go yourself. You can send. You can pray. We just got through taking up Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That's to help out international missions. That's to, that's to, that's to take the word of Christ to people who have never heard. And don't think, you say, and, I've, and I say this in all love. Sometimes we say, I'm just an old country boy. I'm just an old country girl. You might say, I'm dignified. I'm a town girl. You know, but we say, God can't use me. Yeah, he can. You know how I know? Because several years ago, God looked down at some old hick out in the out in the sticks in southern Illinois. So I'm going to take the old farmer there, and I'm going to make him a preacher. And I've been, I've been preaching ever since. God has a place for you. He has a place for me. He has a place for us as a church. God didn't just put us up here on the top of this hill to make it difficult to get up in the wintertime. God put us up here for a reason. He put us here to minister to the people in our area in a way that only New Hope can. Because the people that will come here don't fit in. Maybe at Halltown, don't fit in at Chesapeake, don't fit in at Curse Chapel. They, they will fit here or they won't fit somewhere else. We will meet a need that nobody else can meet. I want us to be the best New Hope we can be. I don't want us to be a, a big church like Mount Vernon or, or, or Halltown. I'm not saying let's change everything to be like somebody else. I want us to be the best us. Because that's what God's called us to do. God has a place for new hope if we'll just answer his call. You remember the book of Isaiah? He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the, 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 the train of his robe filled the temple and all this. And he goes on to talk, and, and God says, Who will I send? Who will go for us? Remember what Isaiah said? Here am I. Send me. Here am I. Send me. How many of us will we as individuals, will we as a church say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Send this guy. Will we be his witnesses? Will we depend on the Spirit's power? Because that's the challenge that Jesus gave to his disciples. You're a follower of Christ. You're his disciple. That's the challenge he's given you. That's the challenge he's given me. Be my witness. Depend on the Spirit. We love people. We care for their souls. So let's do what we can to see him get saved. Why don't you stand with me as the musician comes? And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, God is saying, who will I send? Who will go for us? Will you commit to him? You don't have to you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to you know if you want to, you can come forward and pray. You don't have to. 
New Hope Baptist commit and say, here we are, send us. Because that's God's will for us. He's already told us what he wants us to do. We don't have to seek, he, seek that part. We don't have to say, oh Lord, give me some great revelation. He's already revealed it. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Christ. You know, I would I would hate for you to hear that we should go out and tell people how to become Christians if I didn't tell you how to become one when you're here. The Bible says that we're all sinners. We've all offended a holy God. And the wages of that sin is death. Eternal hell separated from God. But the Bible says that free gift of God is eternal life of Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you get that, we'll repent of our sin and call on the name of the Lord. We'll put our faith in Him. And if you've never done that, today's the day you need to do it. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You call us to something higher, something more important, something more meaningful than just coming and, and listening to some old boy's talk. You called us to something more than, than acting one way, talking one way, and acting another. You called us to something more than a, a country club, more than a clique, more than just friendships. You called us to work for you tell people about Christ. And we know there's there's no greater need, there's no greater privilege than being the service of the King. Lord, I thank you for the heart that uh, this church has to see people come to Christ. And I ask you to help us to uh, rekindle that fire to see people come to you. To not just identify the problems, but then do something about it. Lord, give us insight, give us wisdom to know how we can reach out to this community because, Lord, you know that we've tried a number of different things and it's been kind of frustrating in the past. Lord, help us not be weary and well-doing because we know that one day we'll reap if we think not. Lord, I ask that if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ that you would work in their hearts and 